maybe to apply the Scripture to us today is a little more difficult. But we're dealing with the strong and the weak that are in the church. And, you know, we've, we've talked about it several times before, how that God uses the analogy of the body, um, the human body, to represent the church, how that there's strong members, there's weak members, there's uh, some that are mighty. Uh, you know, my thighs are able to do a whole lot more than my fingers are able to do. But they each have their purpose to the operation of the body. And so that's the way the church is. God has put the church together. And what you've got in Rome here is you've, you've got some that are weak that still uh, are following the dietary laws and the ceremonial laws to an extent. Uh, they keep the Sabbath day. They don't work and they don't travel too far and they don't eat pork and all of these Old Testament laws that they were raised up in. And they're, if, if they was to eat that, it would condemn them. So they are still following after the ceremonial law. I think it's worth saying again now that this is not like what they had in Galatia. In the church of the Galatians, in the letter to the Galatians, they had the church there that had come to Christ for salvation, but they were turning now to Christ was no longer sufficient for salvation. And you had to come to Christ and then you had to be circumcised and you had to keep the law. And if you didn't do all the other things, you really weren't saved. That's not what's going on here in Rome. Here these folks are trusting in Christ. They, uh, all of their hope and their faith is in Christ for righteousness. But it's just the manner of how that they're living day by day. And if they partake of this meat, it condemns them. And so what you had was a division. You've got the Gentiles and the Jews raised up differently. The Jews wanted to hold to the uh, ceremonial parts of the law, part, portions of it. And the Gentiles, of course, they never knew anything about it. And so you had a division or a rift that was being caused. And those that were weak, those that wanted to try to uh, uh, keep some of these ceremonial laws, that is weakness by the way. And yet those that are weak, they wanted to look at the strong, those that weren't doing this, and they wanted to judge them, wanted to condemn them. You're not doing like I'm doing. You're not living like I'm living. You're not as close as we are. They wanted to censure them with judgment. And the, the strong, they wanted to look down on the others and say, these are weaklings and they don't mean anything. They're so weak, they've got no place in the church and wanted to disesteem and to set those aside. And so Paul here is correcting both. Neither side is right. Often when there's division, that's what you're going to find, that neither side is right. And so Paul's going to correct what's wrong in both of them. So first of all, Paul says, and this is what we looked at last week, who are you to judge your brother? Who are you to disesteem your brother seeing that God has accepted them in Christ? So there's one Savior. And if, if I am made righteous 
by Christ, and you are made righteous by Christ, separate from works, then what is there, what really is there that's different between you and I as we stand before God? See, man thinks his works makes him better. When the God's truth is, all of his life, his works never brought him to God. His works never made him acceptable to God. As a matter of fact, his works could never. It's impossible that they make him acceptable to God. And yet man thinks today, well, now that I'm saved, how close and how strong and how pharisaical and how, uh, how close that I live to the law makes me that much better than anybody else. But that's losing the vision of we're all in Christ. We've all got one Master. We've all got one Lord. And He's the one that them that are saved answer to. So He says this, To this end Christ both died and rose and revived that He might be both Lord, both of the dead and of the living. So Jesus died, and He didn't die as the good shepherd that the sheep could run free. That's not what a good shepherd does. A good shepherd keeps his sheep, protects his sheep, and guides and leads them as the 23rd Psalm. There he is protecting them. Even as they walk through the valley of the shadow of death, there's no fear because the good shepherd is with them. He's got them herded up. He's leading them to the pasture. He's leading them to the still water. He's there leading and guiding them. And as he says here, Jesus died and rose again not to let the sheep run free, but that He might be the Lord over them. He says in 2 Corinthians 5, I believe we can see it even better there, that if one died for all, then all were dead. And He died for them that they which live should no longer live for themselves. He died that their lives would be changed and that He would be their Lord and their Master. you got a lot of salvation, and I say that with air quotes. you got a lot of salvation in people's mind today and there's no Lord over them. That is not salvation. He died that He might be the Lord. So now in verse 10, we're going to look at another reason why we can't set aside or disesteem. But why dost thou judge thy brother? Or why dost thou set it not, thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, As I live, saith the Lord, Every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. So we are all under one shepherd and one Lord. I'm not your Lord. You're not my Lord. The church is not my Lord. But the church as a whole and every individual member is under the Lordship of Christ. Them that are saved. We're not talking about members of liberty. We're talking about members of the heavenly body, them that have experienced a new birth, them that are saved and born again, indwelled by the Spirit, they are under one Lord, Jesus Christ, and it is to Him that they are accountable to. 
There is accountability to them that are saved. So he says, Why dost thou judge? Or why dost thou set it not? So to judge, to distinguish, to set aside, to try, to condemn, or to punish, to set it not is to disesteem, to think little of, to set to the side. So why do you do this seeing that we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ? So let's listen to what this means. For all stand beside the step, the rostrum, the elevated place of Christ. So that, that word judgment seat... You can see it in Stephen's message. As he said, and it's really the only place it's translated in that way. But he says that God didn't give Abraham a place to step his foot on. A step. And so you see that word through the book of Acts. You see that word in the gospel. And there Jesus was brought to Pilate's judgment seat. You're going to see the apostles brought before the judgment seats of these masters. And what it is, is it's like a a courtroom almost. That when these leaders come in, they, they come in and they sit down in the judgment seat and they're there to try, to decide, and to oversee. It's like the judge down in Marshall. You see him at the restaurant and he's a man like me and you. You can go up and talk to him. You can approach him. But when you go down in the courthouse and he comes in and he sits in the judgment seat, he's now the judge presiding over the courtroom. And so here, here's Jesus. And where's Jesus at? He's in the judgment seat. He's in the the elevated place and he's looking over his flock and his people. And we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, and I, if, if you would, it's just a few pages over. If you would turn there, I want you to look at how this is written in the Bible. I'm sorry, it's, it's 2 Corinthians chapter 5, not 1. So it's a few more pages over. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Verse number 8 is where we're going to start. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Wherefore we labor that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of Him. So we're all familiar with the first part of this chapter. This is where Paul is saying... Uh, If this earthly tabernacle be dissolved, we've got a building of God eternal in the heavens. We know that. And so here, he's sure, he's confident, and he's willing to be absent from the body because he knows that when he's absent from the body, he's going to be present with the Lord. Sometimes these scriptures can be badly misinterpreted. And we're going to apply this to the church that you've got to stand before God and you've got to pay for your sin that you've committed after salvation and all manner of things that that are not biblical. 
Paul's salvation is not being called into question here. Paul is certain that when he's absent from the body, he's going to be present with the Lord. Do you see that? He's confident. But he says in mind, wherefore we labor, that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of Him. So in Christ Jesus, Paul has an imputed righteousness. A sure and eternal righteousness that cannot be lost. So that when he leaves this world, he's standing before God, as Anthony already said, he's going to be hidden in Christ. And Christ's righteousness is going to be on him and he's got nothing to fear in that day because he's confident that when he's absent from the body, he's going to be present with the Lord. He's not worried about dying and winding up lost when he gets there. He can't be. I promise that he can't be. In the first part of chapter 5, for we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God. He knows and he's confident of this fact. So this labor then, whether present or absent, Paul would like to be pleasing unto his master. Paul would like... See, when he's, when he's going to stand before God, when he dies, he's going to be hid in Christ. But Paul says, while I'm absent from him, and I'm down here in the body, I'd like to be pleasing to him here. I'd like for my life and my behavior to be that that would honor him as we live in this world. Can a man not today be hid in Christ, eternally saved, and yet be unpleasing to Him in His everyday life. He can be. We can do things. But Paul says, my desire, I'm laboring, that whether I'm here or there, I might be accepted of Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Now here, what I'd like for you to do is look at that verse, and I'm going to read it one more time. But in the King James, those italic words, they're not part of the original manuscript. They were added by the translators to make it flow better. But that's not part of the original written Word of God. And it's not. You can look it up. They put it in italics so it didn't look like they were trying to change anything. They want you to know what they added and what wasn't originally there. And in your King James Bible, there's italic words. That's why they're there. They were added by translators to make it sound better. But in verse 10, now we're going to read it without those italic and added words. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things in body, according to that he hath done, whether good or bad. So that changes. 
That changes the way it sounds, don't it? It's not he's receiving things done in his body, but he's receiving things in body. You see that? So what's going on here? What's going on here and in Romans chapter number 14? There's more than something down at the end of life going on here. Because there is a standing before the judgment seat, the step and the rostrum of Christ Jesus. And this is a judgment that happens day by day. At no time are those that belong to Christ outside of His Lordship, of His rule, and of His judgment. For this is, this is what the Word says. It is necessary, so we must, it is necessary that all appear. So that word appear means to render apparent. It's not saying that what I've got to do is come to the court and stand before Jesus. But what he's saying is, I'm going to be opened up and what I really am is going to be revealed. I'm going to be rendered apparent before the step of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now when does that happen? Does it only happen at the end of life? Not for them that are saved. For them that are saved, they stand before Christ and His judgment day by day as the Word of God's preached. We stand before His judgment and correction. It can be in our natural life. God can come by and render apparent. Now who's got to know who I am? Does the Lord need to figure out what I am? He already knows what I am. But He's rendering apparent to me what I am, what's out of order, and what needs to be fixed. So we all must stand before the uh, be rendered apparent. So you've got a continual, ongoing, standing before the judgment of Christ that, that we might receive the things in body. Where's this being received? Not down the line, but I'm receiving this in my body. This is something that's happening as I'm alive. See, Christ is judging and cleansing and purifying His people day by day. He is the active Lord and the active judge over those that belong to them. They are not in any shape or form free to live as they please. That's what He talked about just a little bit before in Romans, remember? Whether we live or die, we're not our own. We belong to Christ in every facet of our life. And we are accountable to Him day by day. See, that's why saved people can't go live how they want and get away with it forever. You're telling me that here's a saved man and he can do as he pleases and he never stands before Christ and be judged for what he's doing? Absolutely not. Jesus will correct his children. It's not going to be at the end of the world that He's going to correct everything. But He's doing this day by day. So look in Hebrews chapter 12, 
very familiar Scripture. But in Hebrews 12, I believe you can see this. Verse number 5. And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of Him. For whom the Lord loveth, He chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom He receiveth. If ye endure chastising, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? What's going on here? Here's children of God. They belong to Him. He has birthed them into His family. And you know what He's doing? He's presiding over them in judgment day by day. As their lives need to be corrected, the Heavenly Father is correcting them. There's no child of God free to live how they please and there be no correction or judgment come upon their life. They are before and answerable to the judge, the Lord Jesus Christ. When are we standing before Him? If you're saved, you're before Him day after day after day. You are accountable to Him day by day. Our our, uh, lives are accountable to Him and He's continually presiding over our life. There's no freedom here to live as the flesh pleases. There's no freedom here to do as the flesh desires. But we are by the power of God. We're kept and we're corrected and we're judged and we're tried by the Word of God, by the Holy Ghost, by the Lord Jesus Christ as He presides over us. And so, if you endure chastisement, God deals with you as a son. Our world, which has lost its mind, may think differently anymore. But in the day that was written, and I believe in any reasonable person, if that's our child, we we need to correct them and guide them. That's the way you deal with a child. Because you love them, you correct them. And you got them. That's what God's saying. Because you're mine, I'm going to correct you and keep you in the place that you'll be pleasing to me. I'm not going to let you go and do how you want to. But when you come home, you're going to answer to me. I'm the judge. And I'm the boss. And I'm the decider. He is the presider. He's the judge. So he says, I'm still in Hebrews 12. But if you be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are you bastards and not sons. So if there's no correction day by day, if I can freely behave how I want to behave, if I can treat the church how I want to treat the church, if I can treat God how I want to treat God in the flesh. And there's never any correction to my life. God never comes by and chastens me and says, listen, this is where you need to be. This 
is how you're supposed to behave. If God never corrects me, then that's a sure sign that I am not His child. That's what bastards means. It means you're a child that's born that does not know your father. So if God's not correcting and keeping, then we don't belong to Him. And so, what does that mean then? That means that everyone that is born again and belongs to Him, we stand before Him day by day. He's correcting. He's instructing. He's disciplining. He's teaching. He's growing His people. So, do you believe that? Do you believe that God is going to take care of His church and His people? That God's going to correct them and help them to grow and teach them what they need to learn and bring them along gently? See, He brought the children of Israel out of Egypt and He took them the long way around. And He said He'd done that because they, they were tender. He didn't want them to see blood. But you know, in just a few years, they're going to go in and they're going to fight for the land. You know what God's going to do? He's going to bring them along and they're going to grow. I may think you ought to be able to jump up here and teach just like me. But God's going to have to grow and teach and help us to learn, understand, and be instructed. Because we're all, we're all not the same and we've not all got the same job in Christ. But my master is your master, is the preacher's master, is the church's master, and we all stand accountable to Him. He is the judge and the overseer. And He says in Revelation chapter 3, <clears throat> there is He speaking to the church of the Laodiceans, as many as I love. Now here's Christ. Christ has wrote a scathing letter to the church of the Laodiceans. And He says, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. What's He doing? He's sending His Word to correct the church at Laodicea. You talk about misuse Scripture. Jesus says in that chapter 3, in that letter to Laodicea, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And people say he's standing at the door of lost people knocking. That's not what he wrote there. He's writing to a church. And here's the picture. The church has come and they've gathered for service and they've shut the door and left the Holy Ghost and left the Son of God on the outside. That's the picture. And so Jesus, who is the judge, who is the overseer, we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. So this is what th those words mean. For all stand beside the step of Christ. All that are Christ are standing before Him in judgment. He is presiding, watching over and keeping them. For it is written as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. A quotation from Isaiah 
And so what is this? When he says, as I live, you'll see that some in the Old Testament. <clears throat> God's swearing by Himself there. Because there's no greater, God swears by His own life. And He says, as I live, as I am the one that has life in Himself, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. So really, not only is the church going to stand before Christ, but all the world is going to stand before Christ. Not only are just His children accountable to Him, but everybody's accountable to Him. Not only is the church going to bow to His, and you know the church is going to bow today, the church is going to bow and confess today at the Word of God by the witness of the Spirit. Them that are saved, they're going to bow and they're going to confess in this life. But know this, whether it's this life or in the judgment, every knee's going to bow to the Lord Jesus Christ. Because He is the Lord. He's the Lord of the dead and the living. All are accountable unto Him. So he's quoted this out of the Old Testament to give strength to the argument that he's making. So then, certainly or accordingly, so certainly every one of us shall give account something said, the thought, reasoning, or motive of himself to God. What's going to be opened? It's going to be more than just what I do with my hands and what I say with my mouth. But you know, this Word of God, it divides down to the bone and the marrow, down to the soul and the spirit, even dividing and, and opening and revealing the thought and the intent of the heart. There's where the Lord is opening us up and revealing and rendering apparent what's truly on the inside of man. So then everyone, there's not one that's going to escape the judgment of Christ. All are going to stand before Him. So when I'm armed with that knowledge, okay, I, I'm saved. I belong to God. I'm accountable to God. I answer to Him. He's responsible for me. He's correcting me. And if you're saved, you are too. So who am I to judge you? Who are you to judge me if we're both accountable to the same Master? That's what He's saying. If we're both going to answer to the same God. You can trust that He's going to execute the proper and the right judgment that needs to be executed. He judges in truth and in wisdom down to the depths of the intent of the heart. You can trust Him in that. And so, every one of us shall give account of himself of God. Let us not therefore 
So seeing and understanding this, let us not therefore judge one another anymore, but judge this rather. So we're not the judge. Now I realize, I realize people take stuff and they run all to glory with everything you say. And no, we're not the judge to distinguish, to condemn, or to punish anybody. But the problem is you say that and people say, well, you can't judge. And what they mean by that is you can't say whether I'm right with God or not. But I can say this by this word that we've got right here. That if you're not accountable to God and He's not correcting you, you're not right with God. We can say by what we saw earlier in Romans, if you have not the Spirit of Christ, you're not His. We can see uh, earlier in Romans, we can see the list of the lifestyles of man that's ungodly. And He tells us if they live this lifestyle, they don't belong to me. So that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about me looking at you and saying you're worthless and we don't need you. Could it get any worse than that? That here's one that God saved, that God put in the church, and I'm going to say, well, we're going to, we don't need you. You're of no value to me. Who are we to do that seeing that God is the judge Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but judge this rather, that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. So what's, what should I be determining, distinguishing? Whether or not my life would cause you to fall or cause you to be edified. Remember, it's the edifying of the body that the church is looking for. That ought to be the desire that everyone that's saved be built up and growing in the knowledge, in the understanding of the Word of God in truth. That ought to be the desire of the church. And yet here, here we've got folks that are living a life that causes their brother to stumble and be injured. Paul says this is what you ought to be judging. Whether your life's in order and whether you're a help or a hindrance to your brother. <coughs> so he says in Galatians chapter 4. So I'm going to read... I'm sorry, Galatians chapter 6. Wrong chapter. Verse number 4. Let every man prove his own work, and then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. For every man shall bear his own burden. If you look in verse 2, bear you one another's burdens. 
and in verse 5, every man shall bear his own burden. There again, we've got a problem with translation. As you read that, you think he's saying the same exact thing. But those two words, burden, two different Greek words there. The first one means a weight. Something that's heavy. So as there's a weight or something that's heavy upon one of the church, the rest is there to help. But here in verse six, every man or verse five, every man shall bear his own burden. That word means an invoice in freight or a, a manifest. So you know that that invoice, that manifest that the truck drivers got, there is a list of what's inside of the truck, and that's what he's not accountable for another man's manifest. You see that? They're not going to pull one from another truck and say, why ain't this on that truck? He's accountable for what's in his truck. He's accountable for what's in his bed. And so here, Paul says, what Anthony's called to do, Vaughn's not responsible to do that for him. But he's got to bear his own invoice. What God's called you to do, nobody else is responsible for what's in your truck. But you're responsible for that. Who are we responsible to? To the Lord that called us to be a steward. And so, back in Romans, judge this rather, no man put an occasion of stumbling in his brother's way. So the desire then ought to be for the good of the brethren. He says in James 4 verse 11, Speak not evil one of another, brethren. He that speaketh evil of his brother and judgeth his brother speaketh evil of the law and judgeth the law. But if thou judge the law, thou art not a doer of the law, but a judge. There's one lawgiver who's able to save and destroy. Who art thou that judgest another? So James here, James is in Jerusalem. James is down there. If there's any people that is self-righteous in their own mind, it's, it's right there in Jerusalem. He's fighting, he's fighting a hard battle. Because here's, here's people, and even in the church are people, really unregenerate Judaizers. And Gentiles are being saved, and, and they hate the Gentiles. They don't want to sit in the same room as the Gentiles. They're so much better and more righteous and good in their own eyes. But James says this, if you're going to be a judge of the law, if you're going to take the law and judge somebody else and cast them down, then you're not a doer. You're a judge. You've become a judge of the law. But he, he says there's one lawgiver who is able to save and destroy. So where does he turn my eyes again? To the one, the, the one lawgiver, the one judge, the one, only his judgment matters. Only his condemnation carries any weight. And so to him, the church's eyes is called to to look. I'm responsible to him. And you are responsible to him. 
You know what I ought to be concerned about? Me and my behavior. Because I, I answer to God. I answer to Him. So how I behave and what's on my manifest, I'm accountable to Him about. I'm not accountable for what you do. You see that? That's what He's trying to say. So then judge this. Judge your behavior <clears throat> that you don't cause somebody else to fall away, to stumble, to be offended at the church of God. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 10, that you may approve things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. What's He calling us to here? That our lives, that our behavior would be without offense. That there would be nothing that would cause someone to fall away from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. And again in Philippians chapter 2, verse 15, that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom you shine as lights in the world. So what, what are we looking over? Me. I'm accountable for my manifest. I'm accountable for my calling. I'm accountable for my life unto the Lord Jesus Christ. So what I ought to be looking at is my behavior and whether I'm a benefit to you. If I'm a hindrance to the church, if I'm harmful to the church, then wouldn't you say that's going to get me in trouble with my master? By the Word of God, it will. And so verse 14, I know and am persuaded by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself. You believe that? I believe today we all do. Now he's talking about meat. He's talking about pork and all manner of unclean beasts. And in Jesus Christ, there is nothing unclean of itself. We are free to eat as we see fit. Giving thanks to the Lord, we're free to eat as we see fit. And the Word of God states that plainly. I know and am persuaded that there's nothing unclean of itself, but to him that esteemeth anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. To him that esteems it, to him that thinks, to him that supposes that it's wrong. Then, now notice, it doesn't say that it's sin to God. It doesn't say that it's unclean by God's judgment unto that man. But to him, it is unclean. To him, it is. To that man, to the one that esteems it, to him it's unclean. And if he takes that in, then he's brought condemnation of his own conscience upon himself. Not God bringing condemnation, but He's robbed His confidence 
from his own self. I, I realize that's a hard thing. That's a hard thing for me to grasp. But that's what's going on here. Because that man thinks and believes, because he's been brought up in that, thinking that that's sin, then to even take part in that condemns the conscience. I heard, I had a lady tell me this one time. We were at a wedding and she was just joking. And uh, she is an older lady. And I said something about y'all to get up there and cut a rug. She said, my feet won't even touch that dance floor. My mom and daddy, she said, they'd have killed me if they saw me dancing at any point in my life. You know what? That, that, that stayed with her. And to do that would have condemned her because of her raising. Now, was that sin? No. But it condemned her conscience by the way she was taught. And a lot of times that happens. And you know, as somebody that's strong, you might say, well, I can get up there and do that. And it don't hurt my relationship to God one bit. But he says here that if I esteem it to be unclean, then I am condemning my own conscience. I'm bringing trouble upon my own self. So, we just got another minute or two. So let's look at a place or two. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, every creature of God is good and nothing to be refused if it be received with thanksgiving. So again, the same Word of God has assured our hearts that there's nothing unclean that I can't take in if... Now, He does say if I receive it with thanksgiving. There's a reason we say the blessing when we eat. It's not just tradition and it's not just something to do to take up time. But there's to be a recognition that God has provided us this. And a thankfulness and a gratitude to God for His not just spiritual provision, but even the natural provision. So it's clean if it's received with thanksgiving, but to him that esteemeth. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, you see it's, it's similar, but it's not exactly the same thing. In Corinth, they were, they were messed up about meat that had been offered to idols. And Paul says, we know that an idol is not a god. And that meat that's been cooked on the grill down there at the idol's house, there's nothing wrong with that meat. It's just been cooked down there. And so what they would do is these idol temples, they'd sell you a sheep and they'd offer it on their altar in fire and then you'd have this cooked meat and they'd take it out to the market and they'd sell it cheap because... What good was it to them? And so the, the cheapest meat that you could buy was this meat that was sold, to, uh, that was offered to an idol. And some of the Corinthians said, you can't eat that. That's been, that's been down at Molex and Ashtaroth and down at Diana's house. That was offered on their altar. If you're eating that, you're, you're eating that that belongs to the idol's house. Paul says, we know that the idol's not God. There is no other God but one. 
that that's sold in the shambles, eat it and don't ask because most of the Christians were poor. They shut the door on them at their jobs. They shut the door on them at the market. Most of them just barely scrape by. And so Paul says, you're free to eat that, but not every man hath that knowledge. For some with conscience of the idol unto this hour eat it as a thing offered unto an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. They have went against their conscience, went against their raisin, if you want to say. They took that that they esteemed to be wrong, and it has condemned them because of that. Again, not that they broke any law of God, but it's their conscience that they're crossing, and their confidence is being robbed from them as a result of it. That when they would come to pray, as if there's not a great enough battle in the flesh, but as you'd come pray to God, the devil's got a place to put a talent in you and say, now, you have done this and it was wrong. So what's the safe thing? To him that esteemeth it to be unclean, to him it's unclean. Let him not take part in it. Don't do that that condemns you. He's going to say, and we've already read, if it's not of faith, it's sin. A lot of times that's taken out of context as well. But if I can't with moral conviction and persuasion do that and feel good about it, then it's wrong. You could say it this way. If you're not fully persuaded that that's what you ought to do, then you should not do that. Because it's condemning and it causes trouble. 